welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I am Sylvian. I'm Sylvian. I'm a very grateful recovering sexaholic. Well, I'm going to spend half of it uh, with a lot of questions. First off, I would like for everybody who was here in the very first SA International Conference in Oklahoma City to please stand. I know there are some here. This was in 1985. 1985, the very first one. Okay, now the second essay conference that was here was in 1990. And I would all of those who were in 1990 stand. There were even more. Okay? So you can see we have some repeats. This is our third time uh, to have this conference here. And I'm real grateful for that. And the next thing I want to do is to tell you that I do have an uh, uh, out-of-town sponsor. I also have Al- Al- an Alamon sponsor in town. But I want to tell you that there are two women here in this uh, in Oklahoma City who sponsor me, even though they say I'm their sponsor. And I want those two ladies to stand because they help keep me sober, they help keep me honest, and they call me on all my stuff. Trisha and Gwen. There she is. There's Gwen. There's Tricia. Um, they've walked this. They've walked this road with me for some time. Okay. They've they've walked with me for a long time on this road, and whenever they uh, see me getting into some uh, old behavior, they don't hesitate to call me on it, and that's what I have to have. Um, they're real good about that. Sometimes I don't like it and I get mad at them. And uh, sometimes I won't talk to them about it, just like they won't talk to me about it. But uh, I'm real grateful to have them in my life, and I just wanted you to see that I have some local sponsors, too. Um, I'm, I believe this program works by working the steps and sponsorship and going to meetings. That's what I've done to stay sober. Um Jess came to town in Oklahoma City in 1930. Uh, 1930. <laughs> Feels like that long, doesn't it, Jess? Thirteen years ago in, ni- in 1983, and he told me in a meeting he was a, a sexaholic, and I said, wow, I'm one too. How do I find out about it? So I talked to him, and I started, uh, we started meeting, we started um, I went to one meeting, and it was in an, um, his apartment with uh, two other men. And you talk about being scared. That was scary because that was like old fantasy dreams. And I got there. 
I had made arrangements with several other people to show up, but none of them showed up until late. And I got there, and there were three men and myself, and it was scary. And these, out of these three men, there were two of them that wanted recovery, and I could tell that immediately. And we did have a meeting. The women showed up later, and I think one of those women may be here. Duck, are you here? Duck's not here? Well, she was here earlier. She was one of, I think, one of the original women in the meeting with me back then, and she's still here with us, and I'm real grateful for her continuing on the road to recovery with us, too. Without these people in my life, there have been a lot of you. Um, I have uh, had a lot of people who have left and come back in this program, and and I've missed them when they're gone, and when they come back, it's like... uh, uh, God touching me again to see their faces again. And there have been several of them this weekend that have touched me again to be here. And I'm real glad to see you here. And I think some of you know who you are. Um, I listened to uh, Harvey and Jess last night and I kept saying I wanted to say that. And and I think, well, I hope I can be that inspirational. I don't have anything to share. That They're so... They just, they can, Harvey can be so spiritual. And I just don't seem to ever have that spirituality. And, and Jeff has so much gift of talk. And I'm, I just always want that. And then David got up here and he was so wonderful. And I'm just like, I just wish I could do that. But I'm not that good. And I felt really empty today. I felt, um, uh, really tired, exhausted, and empty. And I went up to my room, and I was in tears. And I was thinking, okay, I want to be an inspiration. I want to be all this. You know, I've always wanted to be perfect. And somehow or another, I haven't made it. <laughs> I just, I keep trying and trying, and I have really felt like a failure. This week I have really felt like a failure. I have I have really pulled some big goose to show that I am not perfect. And I did a couple of them today, too. And um, after, it, it seems like I go through the whole day uh, doing something that's not perfect. But I had a, a meeting this week that told me that uh, I could give myself permission to make at least three mistakes a day. Actually, I make more than that, but... If I give myself permission to make three, then the others don't seem so overwhelming. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm grateful that um, these people are in my life, and I want to tell you that I can uh, relate to the solution. I, I was trying to figure out, okay, what will I use for my topic? I need a topic. So what will the topic be? And the solution is the topic for me. You know, uh the person who wrote this literature was God-inspired, and I truly believe that. Um, if he weren't, how could he have touched me so deeply with what he has to say? And how could, he, how could this touch so many other people so deeply if it weren't God-inspired? You know, at the beginning of the solution says that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual, and healing had to come about in all three. And um, the healing started for me physically and spiritually and emotionally in 1982 when I started on the road of spiritual recovery in, in, in Al-Anon. 
searching for a solution for a chemically dependent daughter who is now in recovery and an alcoholic husband who I, uh, when I went to my first meeting, I said, well, that's, my husband's an alcoholic, but that's not a problem in my life. We, you know, I don't, just because I, I was getting ready to hire a guy to kill him, it wasn't a problem. <laughs> I had this money saved up to hire a hitman, and I took that and went to a treatment center instead, but it wasn't a problem. <laughs> he just deserved it. <laughs> but... Anyway, I started my road to recovery through going to meetings and to a treatment center with this money for his murder. And uh, and the healing had to start. I, I started working on my steps. Now, when I did my first fourth-step inventory, there wasn't anything wrong with me except that I'd been unfaithful. I mean, you know, there was absolutely not another thing wrong with me on my fourth-step inventory except that I'd been unfaithful. I couldn't see any of my defects of character at all. And today I can see them so big and glaring that I'm like overwhelmed sometimes with my defects of character. But most of it comes back to ego. And I think I talked about that in the meeting earlier. My ego. I want my ego. I want, I want everybody to think that I am wonderful. And, um, when I'm at my worst doing, forgetting, and, and some of you know that I may be a little forgetful. Uh, you may have had a touch of that experience with me, that I am a little forgetful. But you know what? If you're forgetful, I don't forgive you for that. <laughs> Ask Michael. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm making an amends to you. <laughs> Whenever, you know, I can accept my behavior sometimes, but I think that when I'm mad at me, that's when I get mad at you. And uh, I take it out on you. And then I feel shame and guilt and remorse and frustration and anger and all these things. And I go have to go back and touch base with the God of my understanding and start all over with my day. And I do that frequently. The crucial change in attitude began when we admitted that we're powerless. And I, I did that in the very beginning. Before I ever went to a treatment center, I went to a meeting and I saw the cycle of addiction and they talked about alcoholism and drug addiction and I looked at that cycle and I said, that's me, except my addiction is men. I can see that I miss time from work, the anxiousness, the uh, the process of the circle came totally like the addiction for alcoholics and addicts. But I had to chase a man. And um, I could see that. My habit had me whipped. I was beaten down whenever I heard that. I was, I was so relieved to know that there was some, something there. And then whenever Jess came to Oklahoma City and said there was a program for this, I'd been telling people for months that I was addicted to men. And everybody says, that's codependency. Yeah, it is codependency. But there's a difference. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Al-Anon wasn't taking care of that. I couldn't stop. I still wanted and lusted after that 
fixed from somebody to help make me well. A man. I wanted a man to fix me and make me well. I couldn't find that solution. Jess said there's Sex Hawks Anonymous. I was so grateful and so happy to hear there was a solution. For some of us, this meant no sex with themselves or others. Now, when I heard that one, I said, wow, you mean I have to give up masturbation too? I've given up food and, and trying to control my family. I have to give up masturbation too? I mean, you know, it's not like I did it a lot. I, mostly I chased men more than I did that, but uh, the idea of giving up chasing men was pretty hard. But um, anyway, when I heard that one, that was really tough. So anyway, no no sex with myself or others, including in relationships. Well, I didn't really want a relationship with my husband anyway. <laughs> so that one wasn't too important. The one that was important, though, was the relationship with the boyfriend. Because when I got here, I don't know about you, but I feared I'd divorce him or kill him. And, and, and marry this other person and we would come to these meetings in this program and wander off into happiness forever after. But I have a tendency to live in fantasy land too. What's happened as a result of these steps in this program is that I have found a knight in shining armor in the person that I wanted to kill. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle. This program has been full of surprises and miracles. God has given me things that I didn't want or I didn't know I wanted, and they've been what I wanted. He has taken away things that I wanted desperately, and I'm grateful that he took them away. And he has left me with things that... I'm not sure I wanted to be left with, but I have found that I did want them, and I'm real grateful for them. As I walked through this, this path was very scary, and I couldn't see that path ahead of me. Each new step of surrender felt like I was going to walk off into into oblivion. I thought that I would die. I really thought I would die sometime. But instead of killing me, The surrender killed the obsession. And you know, I found when I gave up masturbation, the obsession started getting less and less. It was amazing. I thought that that was going to be the only way I'd ever be able to live, was to use that as the tool if I was going to stay faithful. What I found was by giving that up, I could stay faithful. I didn't know that. Fellowship. Fellowship gave me monitoring. I uh, came to this group in a relationship with another person and um, it monitored me. I had to be honest in that group. I wasn't able to continue with that relationship with with this fellowship. Uh, You told me I couldn't do that. And so I I, uh, gradually withdrew from that. And I found that that relationship was not a relationship I wanted anyway. That person was sick as I was. I found that uh, when I'd pray and I'd ask God for guidance, that he'd always reveal something to me that I didn't want to see. And I got it revealed. And as as these things were revealed to me, I was able to let go of some of the obsession. 
Instead of covering my feelings with compulsive sex, I began exposing the roots of my spiritual emptiness, and the healing began. Facing my defects. Now, that wasn't so easy, and it's still not easy today, you know. It's really difficult for me to face the fact that uh, uh, when I'm aggravated at me for forgetting something, I lash out at somebody else. I have a hard time with that. You know, I couldn't see that stuff when I got here. I have a hard time with the fact that I, I'm judgmental and I judge people. And I um, I do that when I'm um, um, uncomfortable with myself or when things aren't going the way I want them to. I will find other ways to um, cover up those feelings. And I use lots of different things. Lust to me means more than one thing. It's not just lust for a man or lust for sex today. It's lust for lots of things. It's lust for food. It's lust for possessions. It's lust for uh, uh, attention. It's lust for people just to want me. And uh, today, that's that's the lust that I deal with more than anything else. Sometimes the power of this gets broken and I am free. I am more comfortable with myself today than I have been for a long time. I, um, I've had a rough year this year. And, um, I probably will cry, but that's okay. I lost a daughter-in-law this summer. And uh, she was a very special young lady. She was a very spiritual young lady. Uh, She had given my son many spiritual gifts. And she had given us many spiritual gifts. And uh, I'm real grateful to God for having put her in our lives and for having put her in my son's lives. And it has been painful to watch my son go through the pain of losing her because he loved her very dearly. And he also lost his daughter the same week that he lost her, not through death, but because his daughter was a stepdaughter and had to go live with her dad. And stepparents have no rights, as he says. So he lost his daughter and his wife the same week. And it's been real painful to watch that. But we... We've walked that through with him this year, and uh, my son has trouble expressing feelings. And um, through this disease, I hurt him deeply. And uh, he still is having trouble forgiving me. So he doesn't share with me very much. Uh, Partially, I think, because... I still have the defect of trying to tell him how to do it or how to think or what to do, etc. So, he has trouble sharing his feelings and has not done so very much this year. Um, Jess asked me if I got something new to wear for the conference. I told him no. But I did get something new, and that is this outfit. However, this was my daughter-in-law's, and my son gave it to me two weeks ago. And so I'm wearing my daughter-in-law's 
uh, clothes that I gave her a year ago for Christmas. And um, it makes me feel so warm, and I feel that she's here. And she loved me in spite of this disease. She knew that I worked this program. My son has trouble with this disease, and he has trouble with this program. But she did not. And so I um, am very happy to have this memory with me of her. I wanted to share that with you. That's been a part of our rough year. We also lost three important friends this year. We had one friend who died who walked with God all the way through his death and shared such memorable things like, well, he says, uh, I'm going to die and I'm ready. And I said, well, when you die, you'll see my daughter-in-law. And he says, well, you know, there's a lot of friends and family I'm dying to meet. <laughs> and so he walked, we walked through his death with him in that manner because he was, he joked all the way through right to the very end. And that helped a lot, too, to look at death in that manner. My daughter-in-law had said to my son, or to her doctor the, de- the week that she died, that she was not afraid to die, that dying to her would be like walking through the door and meeting her reward. So she was not afraid to die, and then I was able to walk through with this other friend uh, with laughter to his reward. Those have been blessings as well as painful. And they're blessings that I have been able to receive through this program by practicing this positive sobriety that I have today with family and friends. They are blessings that I would not have if I had continued acting out in this disease. I would probably be in jail for having killed Jean. Or if not, we would be divorced and I would have been on my sixth or seventh husband or whatever. One of the two, you know. We know that this disease is progressive, so I am very grateful today that I am in the position that I am in, where I am, with the gifts that I have. Uh, in, in one of the meetings I talked about today, uh, I think it's the old-timers meeting, so the old-timers will get to hear this again, but one of the meditations that I had recently, or a little book I read, was uh, that... Um, I saw Jess walking the way, and I decided I'd copy Jess, and I tried to walk and talk and act and do like Jess. And then I saw, I saw that Jess was walking like Harvey. And so he was walking and talking and dressing like Harvey. And I saw, and, and so I decided, well, instead of following Jess, I'd follow Harvey. So then I saw that Harvey was following um, yeah, David. And David was uh, walking and talking and following Jim. And Jim was walking and talking, and all of a sudden I discovered he was following me. <laughs> so we go in a circle, each of us walking and talking and following the path of someone else. And then we discover that they're following our path. And that is what I see in this program, is that we each do these things. But the thing is, the miracle is that it works. Because we are sharing our experience, strength, and hope. None of it is new. It's all passed to us from a long time ago. 
but it's new each time we hear it. And when it comes back to me, when somebody repeats back to me something I said, it's always a surprise. And I'm real grateful to have all of the uh, friends and family that I have and see here. Each one of you become like a family member to me, and I love you dearly, and I thank you very much. Good evening. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, <clears throat> Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous, an open meeting. Uh, would you please help me open this meeting with the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will, I will be done. This is an open meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. We welcome all the family and friends of the sexaholic. I have introduced myself as a sexaholic. Are there any other sexaholics present? <clears throat> Welcome. <laughs> Thought I was the only one. Um, uh, I'd now like to introduce our speaker from Sexaholics Anonymous. It's Denise from Chino. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.